Recruitment has changed dramatically. It's no longer about media and advertising or job ads. Today, it's all about the candidate experience, and companies know that. They need to bring their A-game if they want to attract and retain talents, especially in a digital So for today's episode, whether you're a job seeker or a recruiter, we're delivering to you some tips and advice from two top HR managers. One is based in the UK and the other one in Hong Kong. I am June from Statris, the host of the day. Thank you for being here at the Business Binge podcast. I have with me Phil and Mukta. So one is based in the UK and one is based in Hong Kong. So first thing is to say hi to them. And of course, uh, can you introduce yourself and tell us more about your position, what you're doing? Who want to start? Okay, let's go for girls then. Mukta, do you want to start? Hi, uh, my name is Mukta Arya. I head HR for Societe General, which is a French uh, corporate and investment bank in APAC. Um, I'm based out of Hong Kong. And uh, for for us, the we are present in 12 markets in Asia Pacific. Okay, thank you very much. So 12 Asia Pacific, uh, sorry, 12 countries. So now you're based in Hong Kong. Did you have any experience uh, in other countries before? Yeah, so I have worked in India, in Hong Kong, Singapore, and I came back to Hong Kong in 2020. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And then how about you, Phil? Can you let us know more about you? Yeah, of course. So, hi, I'm Phil Kell. I'm uh, the head of talent at HackerJob. Um, we're an online unbiased recruitment platform uh, focused on matching up IT and tech professionals to the, the right job, uh, mainly focused on ensuring that candidates and clients have a relevant job search. Um, I've worked in recruitment uh, for the past eight years, been working in tech recruitment for, for six of those. Not as well traveled as Mukta. Um, all of my <laughs> jobs have been, uh, have been in the UK. Um, but uh, interestingly, HackerJob have just brought in the, the HackerJob passport, which allows us to work from anywhere in the world for two months of the year. So fairly soon, I will be getting a little bit more experience of working from uh, some interesting locations, which I'm, I'm excited mm. about. Wow. So let us know because, I mean, now with the current situation, it's hard to travel. So let's keep let's keep it updated about it. Um, all right. Wonderful. So I would like to... Like now start and let's get to the topics because like, as you know, today we're talking about HR uh, recruitment in the East versus in the West. And there's so dim- so many topics that uh, that uncovered this, uh, this industry. So uh, I would like to start with a fact, which is like uh, based on LinkedIn, I found out that 80% of talent acquisition managers believe that employer branding has a significant impact on the ability to hire great talent. And... It is interesting to see how now I can see that employer branding gives an edge to company now to recruit. So as a le- HR leaders in your company with like multiple years of experience, I would like to hear uh, what do you think about it? Like uh, what does first, like what does it mean to you? And then how do you manage it for your, co- or your company? And as well, of course, for your employees. Maybe I can, I can take this first. Yeah. Um, Employer branding, definitely, it is the most important part because it's like, you know, in marketing, they say that you buy what you see. So if you go to a supermarket, if you see something on the shelf, you will buy it first than something which is behind, you know. So <laughs> it's same for for companies. It is, it is the employer branding. If people know about it, then they would like to join. So it can be in various ways, whether we are doing our campus activities, whether we are on LinkedIn, word of mouth. For us, for for example, in APAC, it works more word of mouth because we are not a retail bank in APAC, whereas HSBC, Standard Chartered, others are quite big and also retail, and JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs, which are our competitors, which are quite big. So for us, uh, we are in niche area, and we really have to work on our employer branding to attract the right kind of talent. Um, And mostly it is through not mass advertising, but actually targeted, targeted kind of, um, you know, we reach out to people, it's word of mouth, but it's also campuses, which we are doing things, but it's also talking about what the company culture is all about. So all this actually works for employer branding. 
and all our employees, and that's what we believe that all our employees are our brand ambassadors and whatever they do talk about, um, it actually enhances uh, our brand value to the to the potential candidates and clients. It's mm, interesting. Phil, what do you think about what Jasmukta taught us? Do you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I think it's it's absolutely crucial. So I think when we think about employee brand, as, as, as Mukta has already said, it, it's what that person is buying. So you might have the best culture. You might have, you might do some amazing things. You might have a great mission. You might be solving some amazing problems. If people don't know about that, why are they going to choose your company over another company? And I guess to backtrack from that, if your culture maybe isn't great and you maybe yeah. aren't, then, then that's the step before it, right? You then look at your culture and you listen to your staff and you need to work out how can we make this the best place to work or, or, or the best possible place to work. But then it's about going out to market and telling that story and, and getting that message out there. And you can do all of you can send all of the emails in the world. You can make all the calls in the world. If you're not telling that story effectively and, and you're not getting your name out there and people aren't understanding why they should work for you over someone else, then you're going to face challenges. So, no, I, I completely agree. I think employee value proposition uh, comes into it. So that employee value proposition is really trying to distill why should this person work for us? And you can go further than that. You can look at individual value propositions. So you can actually then, and this is getting a bit more, um, a, a bit more small scale, but when you're actually in an interview, understanding what someone's mm -hmm. needs are and what they're looking for, and then in that interview, being able to communicate why your company meets their individual needs. I think the best way to motivate people and get them engaged is to show them that you can take them on a journey and hit their goals while you hit your, your goals as a company. So it's almost a, a partnership. And I think all of that starts with great employee brand. Mm, I see. Maybe just mm -hmm. to add June on that, uh, yeah. what, what Phil said, it's quite important that Internal employer branding is as important as external employer branding. If your employees do not feel that this is the culture that you are projecting to outside world, it's it's not going to compensate for you know anything. So so internal employer branding with our own employees is also very important. They should also know what things are happening, and sometimes they don't know. You know. Yeah, but can you just explain more what is internal and external? Because for me, it's the first time that I hear okay. this. <laughs> okay. So internal like employer branding means that your employees who are working with you, they also need to know what's happening, what kind of development programs do they do? Do the company does the company have? Uh, what is the career growth that we are offering? You know the benefits. Sometimes uh, I I find that some employees don't even know about the benefits that uh, that the company is offering. So the communication that we do externally, it's it doesn't mean anything if your internal employees do not know about them. So mm. for me, it's it's both ways. Huh? So you have to do internal and then external. And then they can be your right ambassadors. You know? mm, I see. Anything you want to add on this, Phil? No, I think I think Mukta summarized that, that really well. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it was funny how we were nodding. Like, yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> we, we, I tell it, totally agree because I, I feel like it's one of the struggles that we experience in my organization. But you talk about a lot about it's reaching, reaching the right person, right? But how do you put that in place, actually? Like, you, you talk like briefly, Mukta, about compasses, right? So I'm like, um, uh, website, etc. But I mean... Yeah, how do you make this happen and make sure that, okay, the, the word is spreading so people can really see you? Mm -hmm. Okay, so for all organizations, you know, we have limited resources. So you have limited manpower, you have limited uh, money, you have limited uh, budgets to allocate to these branding activities. So I think first we need to be really very uh, mindful and we have to do our due diligence about which are the campuses, you know, where, where they have programs which are more suitable for the kind of jobs that we have. So we can't go everywhere. So we do need to prioritize, you know, what are the campuses we need to go? Uh, do we need to, for example, spend time in the campus physically? Because when you go there, then you have a lot of uh, employees who go with you to participate in the career affairs, in the talks, et cetera. So whether you should do it virtually, whether it's worth going and meeting them face to face, so for us, uh, our campus strategy, we would we would think about all those things and then define that out of so many universities in the 12 markets that we are in a APAC, we will choose like the top two in each of them, you know, and then try to uh, try to have um, activities 
which are targeted to the students and it is it is suitable to the culture uh, because mm. culture is quite important you know in, in countries etc so yeah i think uh, it is it is a thought out calculated kind of approach uh, to make sure that we are not spreading ourselves thin and when we are doing efforts in campuses it is meaningful so people remember because the idea is to mm. create that awareness about our brand so um, it's not easy because we are competing with some really well known brands and we are well known for example in europe uh, but uh, but in apac we still need to do quite a lot so yeah we do that in a in a concerted effort we do internships we do for example different internships it could be summer winter it could be people working on projects or for example we collaborate with the like women foundation where they are targeting young young girls you know to to tell them more about finance so again we do it at different level um and uh, we need to be very very mindful and focused on on what we are doing because we are not hiring in bulk we are mm-hmm. hiring limited numbers so um we are focused on uh, whom we want to approach okay and then phil what is your in in your case what is uh, how do you how do you make this happening how do we communicate the the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, there are a lot of different vehicles out there, right? You know, you've got your own website. I think is is a good place to to start. That's that's often where people are going to come to kind of check you out and find out about your story. There are lots of different sites out there, Trustpilot, uh, mm-hmm. various review sites. There are there's obviously social media where you're you know you're you're pushing content out constantly. You've got all the conversations your staff are having with various different people every day, whether that be clients, whether that be customers, whether that be colleagues whoever it is so there, there are lots of different touch points and ways that you can kind of get this message out i think what's important is to go back to the first point is firstly looking inwards to, you know defining within your own business what is that culture listening to your staff what do you like about working here what could be better and focusing on that then i think it's about once you've distilled that message and you you've really kind of defined what your value proposition is it's then using those vehicles to market them to the right audience so i think you know if we're talking about perhaps newer uh newer systems newer audiences places like discord discourse even twitter and, and some of the, the social media audiences perhaps you're marketing that in a different way to the way that you're communicating on linkedin which is perhaps mm-hmm. a little bit more professional a little bit more focused on different areas of 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 what a, a business can offer someone but i think where that all has to be completely unified is on your own website and that story has to be completely consistent and then the way that your staff communicate that needs to be consistent um within the marketplace so i think yeah there are lots of different vehicles lots of different ways you can get that message out there but the most important thing is making sure that message is clear mm-hmm. and understandable and that your own staff understand it so it's consistent because if you're sending out mixed messages and all sorts of different data points then people will drown in that and people will lose the, what you're actually trying to communicate um so i think that's that's key mm very interesting insight on this one so it's interesting as well i think like um one takeaway i would get from this and for audience would be first like guess as you say like you have to be i mean listen to your to your to your company and then your employees what they say about your company right and then how you vehicle those different like messagings but as well as you say you have to be clear and consistent and then for the vehicles i think it's interesting to be point here that you mentioned to me two different like i would say touch points because uh, Mukta who is based in Hong Kong she talked to me first about campus which is for me like more physical face to face right and you feel on the other hand you mentioned about online so i think is it very interesting that depending on first like the industry and as well who you're targeting you will use like we yeah, as the most appropriate uh, vehicle so that would be like my first takeaway yeah. <laughs> and i would try to apply that for our company as well <laughs> maybe june just to add to that uh, what we also find is that the alumni uh, you know from from various universities they are actually quite a good vehicle for us uh, to to spread or, or be a good brand ambassador and actually they can influence a number of people to join the organization because they are the living example you know so Uh, yeah we do use them for our um, for our recruitment efforts yeah yeah no no and i i i think you're right because um i mean we can use every tactics that we want like uh, whether it's pay or free but i do believe that word of mouth for everything that we're doing is the best vehicle like mm-hmm. you recommend it's recommended by someone that we know right so mm-hmm. yeah, for me it's the most powerful one right mhm when i add something phil 
I was just going to say, yeah, I, I agree on that. I think that's something that we focus on our, ourselves, right? When we're building our, our platform, we, we want mm-hmm. to be a platform that candidates love to use, right? If, if every candidate loves using our platform and every candidate wants to tell their friends about it, that's the key to, to long-term success. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. And again, you know, we keep going back, but again, that comes back to that brand, that comes back to that employee value proposition, that comes back to making mm. sure that's communicated so that people can go and tell your story to other people. If they mm-hmm. understand it and they understand the value, then like you say, you've got that word of mouth spreading. And, and I think, yeah, it is a definitely an interesting point on the kind of in-person versus online. I think in-person is something that we are looking to do more of because there's definitely still a lot of value, particularly as, as Mukta's touch point uh, touched on at that um, kind of graduate or, or perhaps more, more junior level. Um, there's definitely a lot of value. And, and even just getting into in-person communities mm-hmm. because not everyone has a LinkedIn. Not everyone yeah. likes using job boards, right? Yeah, you know, true. there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people out there that you aren't going to find online because they don't want to engage with recruitment or, or work online. Yeah, they right. engage through communities and referrals. So, yeah, th- th- there's definitely value to, to both sides. Mm, no, it's uh, yeah, great, great. Thank you for this insight. And um, so for me, okay, so those are the different tactics you do, like for attracting, right? But would you say is the same for retail? Painting tenants because we mentioned about okay internet and branding. You mentioned that yes, uh, the more the employees know about the program, the more uh, they're likely to spread the word, right? So, is it the same tactics or just or do you use like other tactics like to retain then your tenants? Um, okay, so maybe I can start, Phil. Um, I don't think I'll call it a tactic. Uh, uh, what I feel is that as an organization, if we create an environment for employees, uh, which is where they like to come, you know, they they feel that they are welcome, they feel that they can actually do things with, it's diverse and inclusive, you know, I'm using a lot of words, but I think it's really important mm-hmm. where they feel respected, and they do feel that there is growth, because people are looking for career growth, uh, people are looking to get intellectually satisfied, People, of course, uh, you have to look at compensation and benefits because those are hygiene factors. Uh, but I think what people are looking for a place which is humane. Um, majority, whatever, in my experience, what I have uh, I have seen is that employees do want a place which is caring, you know, and where they are not like watched like it's a it's a jail, you know. <laughs> so uh, if people are treated well um, and there is trust, and I, I I really emphasize on that because if the trust between managers and employees, uh, people would love to work in that organization. Mm. And then, you know, other things, even if they are not perfect, people people sort of are okay with that. But I think they need to feel valued and respected. That's the, mm. that's the most important thing. So we try to do that through a variety of things. First is uh, strengthening managerial culture, because I think if managers are not good, then you cannot retain any employee, you know. So that old adage where people leave managers, but not companies. I think it's very true and we see it all the time. So for us, I think that's important. And we have seen that a lot of our managers are able to retain that. Then of course, you know, an environment where people do not have the fear of failure. I think that's important when people have the back of the of the employees. Uh, the, the development, I think training development is quite important. It is, uh, people talk about it, but I think if people, employees feel that they, are given support to develop themselves, they would like to stay. And, and finally, I think it is um, it is basically career growth is there or not. So career growth could come in the form of internal mobility from for department, geographical. Those, I think if they don't see progress, a lot of people may not want to stay, even if they love your organization, yeah. they may not want to stay. So we have to create that environment where we give them opportunities after three years, two years, three years, so that people don't get bored. Like, for example, I'm 16 years in my same bank, but I have done four different locations. So I feel as if every time it's a new new job, you know, it is the new job, actually. So, yeah. so I'm still here after 16 <laughs> years. So, so. All right. And Phil, well, what is uh, what's about your side then? Yeah, I don't know. I think we're agreeing on, on, on a lot today. I think, um, again, yeah, it comes back to, to, to culture. Um and then I think, you know, I think the issue with that is culture is a, a huge word, right? Culture mm-hmm. encompasses so, so, so many different things. And Mukta touched on a lot of them there. So I think definitely trust is is super important. Um, 
it gives people responsibility and it makes them feel like you know they are adding to the the business and they're having an impact if, if employees don't feel trusted they feel micromanaged um then i think it's much easier to feel as just like a tiny cog in a, in a huge machine whereas actually if they know no this is my responsibility this is what i'm trusted to deliver on um then i think it's it's really good for them and it's also good you know from a managerial standpoint for accountability if someone's been trusted to do something then you are able to hold them accountable for, for delivering on that um that metric or that measure um i think transparency is, is very important as well um obviously there is you know a point when we're talking about the, the deep financials and things like that that maybe you can't be sharing completely publicly but as much as you can share i think you should share i think company uh, employees uh, apologies should be aware of what are the plans for the business how well are we doing at the moment um you know the, the challenges that we have coming up throughout this year how are we what what plans do we have in place to to kind of overcome these and it might not be a business level when we're talking about big multinationals that might be at an office level that might be at a team level but transparency again is is super super important um in in my opinion and then I think, you know, as Mappy said, it's about creating somewhere that, that people love to work. So communication is super important, right? And, and mm-hmm. I think flexibility as well comes into that. Mm-hmm. We're all different. You know, we, some people have families, some people don't. We all have different interests. We all have different ways of working. So why would one system of doing things work for everyone? Like It, it wouldn't. We all have different, you know, needs and different desires and, and different wants in our, in our lives. So I think communicating with the staff, listening to them, understanding what they want, and then Okay, you might not be able to do all of it. Some of it might not work for your business. I completely understand that. Different businesses work in different ways and have different needs, different needs for face-to-face conversations and things like that. But challenge yourself. Challenge yourself to push those boundaries as far as as you can and try and meet your your staff at least halfway if that's possible. Um, So I think, yeah, listening to them, understanding what they want and then trying to deliver on that. I think, and to Mukta's point, if they can see that you're listening and you're making efforts, that's a big part of the battle. You know, what people don't like is, is... working in a business where they feel like they're never listened to or yeah. they, they report problems and they're not taken seriously. That is is really damaging to your culture. If you're listening and you're at least trying to, to make an impact, that goes a long way in terms of building people's faith in the business. And then I think the final thing for retention, it's something I touched on a bit earlier, is how can you take them on that journey? And I think, again, Mukta, Mukta touched on this Um you know, with with how long she's been in that in, in the same company and all those different um, roles and all those goals that uh, working at Society General has allowed her to hit. Um, you know, how how can we help you to hit your goals? What are you looking for? What do you want? You know, it, and and everyone hates the you know where do you see yourself in five years question. It's mm-hmm. it's a tough one. But but what do you want in the next year? How can we help you to hit your next goal? You know, it, are you saving up for a, for a house? Is it a financial thing? Is it a progression thing into leadership? Is it learning new skills? How can we help you to progress? And then you can come on this journey with us and help us to progress. And I think if you can take people on that journey, um, it's it's probably the most powerful thing you can do for your your culture, in my opinion. Um, and which is great because I, this is like the next topic that I wanted to tackle, which is like, um, you know, we talk a lot about like well-being at work and I can understand it. it's a one way for you to retain like flexibility and all those working new style that we're introducing. But I also wanted to ask you like more uh, other questions. Uh, okay, which is like you mentioned about asking and listening to your employer. So first would be from a recruiter uh, point of view. Um, how did you make this happen? Like, is it like you you set I don't know one interview per every quarter or you do like an annual review how do you make happening like those discussion between your employees and make sure that this information go back well to your i would say um uh, business decisioners how you understand it yeah so if i could jump in first on, on, on this one um so some of the things that we've done internally so we do every quarter we do an anonymous survey um mm-hmm. to all of our staff so completely anonymous They don't, um, yeah, no, no kind of data tracked against it where we sometimes they're, they're very short. They're, they're literally three questions just to generate an NPS score, a net promoter score, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. everyone is familiar with. And we take our internal NPS very, very seriously. We actually have quarterly and business, quarterly and yearly targets against the NPS. So it's something that we literally track and we ensure that we are, 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 are maintaining the levels that we want to, to maintain. 
Um, we also do an all hands meeting every week. So this is in the nature of transparency where we'll share as much information about what's going on in the business, the teams um, and what our, our goals are. And during that session, again, people can ask questions directly to our, our CEO anonymously. I appreciate in most businesses that is not going to be feasible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but again, can you can you implement a similar system with the team lead or the head of department within that particular office? Like I'm sure at that stage, it does get a bit more feasible. So I think it's actively putting systems in place to try and collect mm-hmm. this information and try and encourage discussion. But then it's also about coaching your managers to be having these discussions throughout the the week, month, year. Yes, we have you know monthly one-on-ones. Yes, we have annual reviews. But if there are issues, then 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 employees shouldn't feel like I have to wait three and a half weeks for my next one-on-one to report this. They should be able to go and have that discussion with their manager and, and sit down and, and communicate. And I think it's about creating an environment where people feel comfortable to, 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 to go and do that. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I completely agree uh, with Phil. I think the environment is very important and, and manager's role because um, they are the ones who are working with employees day to day. For us, uh, our HRBPs um, also play this important role, you know, of making sure that they know what's happening on the ground. And that's why for us, I think uh, it's it cannot be, uh, I mean, even remotely you can do it. Like for example, you know, now when we can't go to office, but even if you have catch-ups, which are regular catch-ups with employees, you will come to know what is happening. So yes, and as Phil mentioned earlier, communication is the key. And I would think over-communication is better than under-communication. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so it's the role of HR, but role of managers. Um, uh, and we, we also do surveys, but uh, I, I think that survey, because that's a yearly kind of survey, so we do hear a few things. But there, uh, our people are quite vocal normally, and then they would, you know, talk about things uh, uh, which are there. We we also have, um, you know, those speak up kind of uh, culture which we are encouraging uh, as a bank. You know, culture and conduct becomes quite important. So we do have channels for employees if they are not comfortable with something to talk about it to compliance, to whistleblowing, to HR, uh, and then some people do choose that route, you know, when they want to talk mm. about things that they're not comfortable talking with their managers. So, yeah, there are a variety of things. And it's quite important to have that uh, conducive environment and what we call um, fear-free environment, you know, where yeah. people can, can raise their voice. Um, I wouldn't, for example, would like employees to go to Glassdoor or some other social media channel to write about what they don't like about the company. If if they can talk about it to us, at least we can take care of it and maybe do something about it and, and rectify it, you know, because what I feel is most of the things that employees complain about can be fixed. You know, it can be it can be fixed. There are only very few things which are not in the hand uh, of the of the management in the organization. So, yeah. Mm. No, no, no. I think it's um, it's a good. Uh, I mean, the, that's good. Like takeaway that I have, like as you say, like it's communication is key, actually, right? And as well the environment, um, and as well, like I can see that there's two channels. I would call it that, like that, like it can be anonymous. And I guess what it can be like, okay, you can be in person, right? So you can show and say what you want, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think is good because I am. Um, that was more like the second question I have, but actually we already answered. Was more like if someone is afraid of answering to what what can what can you like advise them like if they really want but can maybe even though they have like a good environment but they're still afraid of telling or or like yeah just telling their managers what advice would you give them to do it yes i think yeah on my side it would it would come back to i think the, the company allowing those channels um like i said the, the the surveys can be anonymous the questions in the all hands can be, be anonymous i think from a company standpoint however you do that you know and there are lots of different ways you could do that putting in place some sort of system which allows for for that i think is is useful um and then I think once once that's done, it is it is then about you know speaking to the, the employees and maybe you know if if someone does raise maybe in in two months three months they, they you know they get a bit more confidence they get to know you a bit better and they say you know what actually when I first joined I was really scared to to raise these things and I used the anonymous channels like if it does come out in that way I think again that's an important conversation to have what was it that made you feel nervous and it, it might just be that you know everyone is different not everyone does feel confident straight away to do that. 
but there might have been things to do with the onboarding, to do with the, you know the way they joined the business in the, in the first place, to do with the way the team that was set up that made them feel uncomfortable. So I think again, if you can have that conversation, and I appreciate it's difficult because that person does have to come forward at some point and admit mm-hmm. to it, um, then I think it's an important conversation to have. And, and it, look, everyone is different. Not everyone is confident. People do have anxiety, like, and we have to accept it. It might not be something the business has done that made them feel uncomfortable. But if it was, then great. Let's understand that. Let's try and fix that. Let's try and improve that for the next time. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. So, so yeah, for me, like... Uh... Um, thank you very much for this one. Just as you say, like we know that, yeah, as you say, in one organization, there's so many different people, so many expectations. So you mentioned already, like, yeah, you allow like flexibility, some like a working style, right, for your or your, um, your organizations. Um, but I would like just like maybe uh, talk a little bit like more in depth about this. Uh, because like well, I also like I, I was reading like so many surveys about HR's uh, industry and then I saw like in a recent survey for Pecan that um, there's apparently a huge gap between employees' expectation on well-being and what organization believe they're providing, right? Um, and then what they were revealing in this survey is that if organizations are able to close that gap, then they are more likely to be successful in terms of recruiting and as well retaining, right? So what I... For me, like takeaway first, number one was, yes, um, communications can be one way for that uh, as well environment. But then how did you try to close the gap? Uh, I mean, what did you allow in your organization today to close this gap in terms of uh, meeting the employees' expectations? Apart from that. Sorry? On well-being, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The well-being at work. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, uh, in fact, uh, this was our top of our priority, you know, in our people's strategy uh, because of the situation that we are in to, to have mental well-being at the top of uh, the agenda. So what we did was, uh, apart from, you know, the regular things that we already have, which is employee assistance program, which uh, the usage did go up because it has counseling services, anonymous, you know, where employees and their families can access it 24-7. Uh, you, we also enhanced our medical benefits to to add uh, psychiatric care for um, uh, for countries where it is not covered by the state. You know, so sometimes mm-hmm. the country's uh, uh, medical uh, benefit by the state covers that. So we did enhance that, but also a lot of support to managers and to employees on how to tackle um, issues that arose because of, you know, remote working, uh, staying at home, homeschooling, etc. through a series which we call Bounce Out Series, where we have uh, ex- experts who come and talk about it. So it's all online, of course, because mm-hmm. people cannot go to office. Um, also, what we did was we looked at, um, you know, what we can do in terms of mental first aiders. So we have started it. So I don't know how successful it's going to be, but um, as like the first aider, you know, every company you have this kind of um, training. So mm-hmm. we are looking at mental first aider where employees could be the first point of contact if other employees want to speak to them before, you know, uh, taking help. Um, for, for me, I think for mental well-being, one of the other things is really uh, making the managers uh, equipped with, with skills to handle situations when you know people are burnt out or people are, are feeling some pressure stress for themselves as well as for their employees i do feel for managers and hr people because during this pandemic i think the pressure has been double you know for them mm-hmm. them themselves as an employee with their families as well as a team to look after and mm-hmm. same for hr people you know i had many people in my team who were talking about it because they themselves are employees but they also heard a lot of things which were stressful, negative, and so they take it all on, you know, so it's very difficult to handle. So for me, I think the support from from coaching, the support from counseling uh, for different kinds of reasons, of course, uh, is is very important. And as a bank, uh, if we provide that, I think people can be, um, people can can really uh, see the benefit of it. Some of the other things during this condition, what we did was, uh, working, you know, uh, on an exceptional basis, you know, working from abroad uh, because people who went to see uh, their people, but because quarantine, as you know, June is 21 days in Hong Kong, it can be pretty long. So yeah. can we allow work from abroad? Do we have flexibility, for example, if people want to leave 
a particular country and, and go to their home countries? Can we find them positions? So there are various ways of support that we try to help. It's not easy because you can't help everyone, but uh, mm-hmm. we try, we try. Right, thanks. And anything you want to add on this one, Phil? No, I think I think Mukta uh, summarized it really, really well there again. I think, so, so I think if we talk about misalignment in terms of expectations, I think that comes back to communication again. Mm-hmm. You know, why, why, mm-hmm. why did the employees have a different expectation to, to, to what was being offered? And again, that comes back to listening to your staff, right? So I think one thing we did at the start of the pandemic, obviously we, we brought in a few kind of top-down directives, some obvious things that you can do, getting some mental health support into the business, things like that. But then beyond that, it was about listening to the staff. What do they need? And, and for some people, it was just little things like, um, you know, not having stigma about having a, a camera off on, on certain calls and things like that because they've got... <laughs> family and kids running around in the background and all these little things and not instantly just thinking, oh, this person's not engaged in the meeting. So some of it is just little tiny mindset changes like that. Other things are, are bigger directives you can do, like offering that mental health support. Um, and I think just, you know, to go back to the, the point Mukta made earlier about being a, a kind of kind or caring organisation, it's about communicating that to the staff and saying that, look, you're not going to be on form every single day. And, and look, we value as you we value you as an employee. You deliver loads of great value to the business. Like it's okay to not feel great at times and to take a day mm-hmm. off and, and things like that and not feel like you just have to be constantly at a hundred percent because because let's face it, no one is. So I think um I think again that the key is is about understanding what the employee's expectations are as much as you possibly can, trying to meet those expectations. And if you can't meet some of them, if some of them aren't feasible, whether it's budgetary or whatever it is then again, communicating that back so that the employee doesn't have the impression that this is something that you're going to be doing. And then, you know, a few months down the line, they then feel like there's a misalignment and their expectations haven't been met. It's about being clear with what you are going to do, what you can do and communicating that, I think, to the the, the person so that they feel fully comfortable and they understand those expectations. Mm -hmm. Right. Thank you. Um, all right, which for me, like, um, it's a good way for me to jump into the topic, which is... um, you talk about communications and alignment. Would you say that it's the same? Like, because now we know that, okay, a, or an organization can have like up to three to four, even five generations overlapping, right? Working together. So do you use like the same way to communicate your messaging or do you adapt between the generations? Like, I mean, how do you handle like this? Because like, again, like uh, as a millennial me, I'm sure that, I won't have the same expectation as my founder, for example. <laughs> and the way that even like uh, receiving the information would be like, for me, it's slightly different. Mm-hmm. So how do you manage this? Like between generation? Yeah, right. I think, I think flexibility is, is another crucial word in, in, in all of this. Um, and I think similar to culture, it's, it's a big word. It can mean lots of different things and it means different things to different people. I think that's the key to it. I think rather than looking at things in kind of Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, Mm-hmm. We need to look at individuals because there are individuals in Gen Z that will learn in the same way as people learn from Gen X or Gen Y, right? And and, mm-hmm. and, and vice versa. And yes, there might be trends, you know, there, there might be less Gen X, you know, that are social media influencers and things like that. And yes, there are, are definitely trends you can draw, but there are also going to be differences between these individuals. So I think rather than trying to ever create a one-size-fits-all policy Mm -hmm. like one Mm -hmm. policy that fits everyone again it's about communicating it's about understanding how do the staff learn best how does this person learn learn best in their role what do they want what's important to them what are their goals and again trying to marry that up and and I, I appreciate you know the bigger the organization is the tougher that can be because the more staff you've got the more different opinions you've got so I think that's when you need a more local strategy Okay, so whether that's office based, whether that's team based, and it's not about inconsistency, it's about giving managers a little bit of freedom um, in terms of how they run their training. Okay, so it's not just one training session that goes out to everyone in every corner of the globe at every age. Actually, managers thinking, how is my team going to learn best? And then sourcing tools or designing programs that fit that that specific team or even that individual if it's someone that needs needs help. So I think for me, the, the key word in all of it is flexibility, and it's huge, right? There's so many different ways you can apply that and so many different levels of the business, but it's it's getting away from this is the one way we do it, this is the one way we expect everyone to learn or everyone mm. to, 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 to ascribe to. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, right. I, I, I like it, uh, Phil, when you say flexibility. So even though we are um, we have 2,500 employees in APAC, uh, oh. uh, we do believe in flexibility. And <laughs> we also have four generations, you know, working, uh, working together. So what we do is, uh, for example, in our training and development, you know, so we have different modes. So we have the regular, what we say, classroom, which is now online, of course. But we have platforms which are either app-based or, you know, like Coursera kind of courses. Um, so what we do is we have, we curate it, but we let the employee decide with their manager based on what their preference is, you know, if they like bite-sized kind of things. So that is also available on a topic versus in-depth knowledge if somebody else likes it. So again, it's difference in learning style. Communication, like for example, we will communicate via email, but it's also managers who do it, but it's also Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, similar kind of messages. We would do it through various channels and depending on what people like, um, you know, we also have an app for our Societe General News and and some some gen some people I would not say generational because for example I am in I'm Generation X but I I use quite a lot of apps you know I prefer apps to reading on the, um, on, on the computer so uh, uh, we we try to do that and have say different modes of delivery I would say for for different things uh, but it's true that uh, it's not uh, we can't do it for everything but we still try. And what we have seen is that through this, we reach out to more employees um, compared to just using one channel. But, you know, nowadays, I think most of the organization do that. They have multiple channels of uh, communication, of delivery, of, I think, getting things done. And, and people who, there are some people who would, for example, even if we do not provide training and development, people have, the, the younger generation, for example, they find their own programs and then they tell us, okay, you know, I attended this. Do you think the company can pay for it? <laughs> you know, those kind of things. So, so you have to provide multiple channels uh, and for different generations, but also different learning styles for people. Mm, I don't know. For me, it doesn't make sense. Like, as you say, like um, flexibility and as well, like, I mean, like one takeaway again for me is like a human, like you put again the person at the center, right? You mm -hmm. can have some trends, but again, like we focus on the person and then we can be flexible, but at the same time, we try to adapt that so we, I mean, you deploy like different channels to make sure that the messaging would be rich and whatever their age, uh, where they live, their culture, then at least they can get the message, right? So that's, um, that would be the takeaway for me and again, for the audience. <laughs> um, uh, on that note, uh, like um, that would be like the, the last topic. Um, which is about now about uh, the hype word HR tech. So because now we, we talk about different, I mean, some changes that happen in organizations. Okay, now we're in 2022, there's the pandemic. So the way of working is different. The way that you're attracting and retaining the employees are also different now. But there's also like this word about automation, right? So even me, I'm not too familiar with that. So I would like to get more your opinion on this ones. So how do you see like HR tech uh, impacting the recruitment industry? How does it impact your organization and has it already impacted it? I'm a little what? biased on this one, so I don't know if Mukta wants to go first or I am. <laughs> um, I, I think you have more to say, Phil, so I'll listen to you first. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So obviously working, you know, in, in, a, in a branch of HR tech, recruitment tech, um, I think it's great. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I, I'm kidding. I think... Um, look, I think what so automation again is, is is a big word, and I think it's important that it's not automation for automation's sake, right? I think the way we look at it is let's automate the bits we can automate, and the bits we can't, let's fill them, fill those gaps with talented humans that can still do what talented humans do. So we don't we don't kind of approach it the way some companies do in in saying, look, recruitment is dead. You know the 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 value that a recruiter offers is is nil now that we're we're able to offer um, this this kind of online recruitment solution because that's not true whatsoever. A good recruiter um, who can understand someone, who can make sure they're well prepared for interviews, who can understand their goals, can help them choose that right company, is super super valuable. So what we try to do is we try to combine the the, the kind of recruitment knowledge and the, the the tech knowledge that a recruiter would have. 
Um, and that support they can give and that friendly voice they can be on the end of the phone for someone who's perhaps looking for a job and hasn't been looking for a job for four years, five years. We have to, again, understand that we're dealing with humans here. You know, we're dealing with individuals and they all have their own needs and wants and hopes and dreams. Um, so what we try to do is we automate some elements of it. So we'll automate the relevance element. So we'll automate the way that we match you up to jobs because that's based on data, right? You know, mm -hmm. your, your salary range, the industry you want to work for, the, the, the kind of com the company size you want to work for, the locations, these sorts of things. Yeah, you can define them. You can, you can create data points. What's then harder is culture and, and kind of personality matching and all of this side of it. So that's where I think definitely a blend between automating as much as you can and then filling in those gaps with with humans is, is absolutely crucial and i think we see that across a lot of the different hr techs that are offered i think that's probably most relevant to the, the recruitment side of it um but even kind of high bob and and things like that you know the the, the kind of online hr management systems and things like that again i think come at it from a, a human or a user-centric approach and rather than just seeing it as something for the organization and just seeing it as a way for us to organize and manage things actually let's think about the employees let's think about how they want to use this service let's think about let's put them at the center of it and i think that then goes beyond hr tech right and that just goes to the world of tech in general you know mm. Tech companies think about their users, or they should do, because at yeah. the end of the day, that's their consumer. That's the person who is buying or using their application or their, their service on a day-to-day -day basis. So a lot of design these days is user-centric, but user experience designers, user interface designers, obviously a huge, huge industry that, that's growing all the time. Um, and I think, again, from a, a, a HR or tech or recruitment tech standpoint, that is, again, key. Thinking about the user, thinking about the person that's going to be using the system um, and putting them at the, the centre of it. Mm -hmm. um, anything you would like yeah. to add on this one, Yukna? Yeah, uh, HR tech, uh, frankly, that's, that's the future. And uh, uh, what I'm not discounting is the human touch, because I do think that it has to be the right balance between we use tech in HR versus uh, where we use human beings. You know, I think it's quite important to have that balance, uh, but really quite important nowadays. We started this journey actually quite early uh, in 2010 uh, in our organization in APAC to, to use, start digitalizing and then, uh, you know, uh, going further and, and getting more and more um, HR tech stuff uh, into our portfolio. So, uh, we started with the uh, employee self-service, uh, you know, using uh, uh, all those kind of tools so that uh, we don't need so many human beings to answer to regular queries. Uh, but then uh, we also tested few things, you know, for example, for exit interviews, we are we are looking at um, um, uh, AI-based uh, uh, software, which could analyze and then tell us, you know, what are the trends, et cetera. Uh, a bot, uh, which we have in some parts of our, our company, you know, where we are using uh, bots uh, for um, for talking to employees and then solving their, their queries. Uh, and also uh, for recruitment, we had actually tested it, but we are not using it yet. I'm quite excited about it uh, for recruitment for the first level interview, you know, to use um, uh, this kind of a bot to, to screen people um, at that level. Uh, and also we use a, a number of things which are for our HRIS system, but also learning and development system. Again, uh, since we are a bigger organization worldwide with 150,000 employees, so we do have bigger uh, technology stuff, you know, in HR, uh, which is quite useful because, uh, you know, with matrix structure, it can get very complicated. Mm -hmm. and, and we, of course, do not use uh, many things which are standalone. So they have, to, so they're supposed to be integrated into other systems. So, um, for me, yes, I'm quite um, I'm quite hopeful that HR Tech will help us further on onboarding. For example, um, where now we can't meet people, but we do need to onboard people more effectively. How do we do that? Recruitment definitely. Uh, you know, maybe um, I can get some ideas from Phil, but uh, it's quite important for us because it's getting very very different. The market is very different. The candidate are very different. The way they look at things is very different. So yes, I think uh, it's it, it is getting more important, uh, you know, to use HR tech. We do use them for our benefits uh, platform and, and other things. Uh, uh, but for me, I think uh, the best will be that majority we use, we use it. And then wherever possible, we balance it with our human touch. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I, I agree, like, uh, we are living now in a digital world, right? So most of the thing is whether automate or we use, like, AI in helping us. But that's, yeah, I would say that, yeah, we should, like, draw the, the um, a limit, like, and draw the boundaries, mm-hmm. like, where we can use automation and, I would say, uh, tools and where the human can really act on it. So, and... Uh-huh. I, mm-hmm. I think Mukta gave the perfect example there of of, of the, the, both the benefits and the limitations of, of automation. So chatbot is the perfect example. Mm-hmm. So what chatbots allow you to do is answer thousands of queries in a second, right? If you get a thousand queries, that, that bot can pick up all of those. So then all of your staff that would have answered those in the past can then do other things, more interesting things, things that that bot can't do, right? Speak to actual mm-hmm. candidates and interview them further down or, um, you know, work on your employee brand, all these things that do require require humans. What the chatbots can't do, though, is answer really complex queries where they're looking for mm-hmm. an opinion or they're looking for some really specific advice. They're great for like, yes, no questions. How do I do this? And pointing you in the right direction and taking you to an FAQ. So they're really useful up to a point. What you'll find if you're using a chatbot for a bank or something like that, if you're asking more complex queries, eventually they'll point you in the direction of a human, an advisor, and you'll go and speak to that person who can then fill in the more complex information. So, and that's a really good analogy for automation in general. It's useful mm-hmm. up to a point. It allows you to do lots of yes. other things. It allows you to do more things at once. But then there does come a point where the tech isn't quite ready. And maybe we never want the tech to be fully ready in that because I do think there's always value in, in being able to really understand and empathize with someone. Um, and I think that's a, the perfect analogy of, of where automation is and, and how useful it is at this point. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's uh, thank you very much. <laughs> that was a good segment of my tech chat team. So, so yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think we're reaching like almost the end of the, our podcast. And um, I would like just to ask like some rapid fire questions. Uh, one more for recruiters and then, and I would say um, organization. And then other question for someone who is looking for a job. Um, so my first question is more for like an organization perspective. So any tips do you have and then you can share for someone who is managing a team online? So what is that? I would say maybe the do and don'ts of what have you tried that didn't work? So, yeah. For me, it's trust. I think they should trust their team because if they don't trust their team, they're going to be problems, you know, and they will be, everybody will be worried. <laughs> okay, so... So okay, you 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 try to to show them that you trust them, but then how do you tra- I mean how do you show the trust online? Because so know, the it's... trust online is, for example, don't keep looking at you know whether the post on the messenger whether it is green or not, or don't keep asking people. Oh, so so did you go away from your desk? You know, I didn't see you <laughs> green online because I, I know there are people who do that. So <laughs> I think at least just be just uh, just trust them that if they are delivering. You're okay with it and don't don't keep on saying that oh did you go away from this and did you do something else did you go out for lunch you know those kind of things for me um, it's important not to micromanage online it can be really painful mm. all right and whatever you feel yeah i i would i would agree on that completely i think it's you know we're we're, we're results oriented of course we are if, if there's a big drop in results when we're looking at those at the end of the week end of the month then of course that's that's an issue that's an issue in the office or out of the office and there can be lots of different reasons for that you need to speak to that person understand it why has their performance dropped and yeah if it's consistent then of course you need to, to put measures in place whether it's training to, to to fix that if the results are good then why do you what's it matter if they enjoy their day a bit more and they popped out for a, for a coffee or it's sunny outside and they think i'm mm-hmm. going to go for a walk for, for half an hour and clear yeah. my head they're getting yeah. back and, and the work is done like and, and again it comes back to flexibility right you know trust and flexibility and allowing people to work in a way that suits them rather than the way that you think should suit them um i think is is crucial in all of it i <laughs> agree yeah, yeah, I'm going to steal that, you know, what you just said, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> no, 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 I, I agree as well. No, no, but that's a, that's a good point because, like, yeah, we, I mean, it's true that this question can be really, like, uh, I know Dean, like, asking, like, yeah, okay, have you go, did you go for lunch? But, yeah, you're right about it. Like, it can be, like, showing that there's no trust into, like, the from the managers to the employees, so... And, and that's not to say performance isn't important. Like, like I said, if, if performance drops, you need to work with that person and diagnose that and try and fix that. Of course you do. But 
that's that's the point that, that that worries you when the performance drops, not the fact that they're not on Slack. Exactly. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, like, who can be like, I mean, that long on, on, on those like ads, like, it's like, um, yeah, thank you. Then the other question that I have is more like for someone who is looking for a job. So, uh, okay, there's a myth about like January being the month where people are looking for a new job, but where would you advise someone now to look for a job? Like uh, we mentioned that there's many platforms that you use, right? To to showcase your, your employee branding and as well the channels you use internally to, to, uh, to spread the word to your employees. But then if I want to apply for your company, where, or if I want to apply for any, any other company, where should I look or what would you recommend? You know, for, for us, when we have open positions, we, we really look at our website applications, you know, applications through website and, and LinkedIn first before we go to the headhunters. Um, so um, uh, we, we do have some job sites that we uh, actually, uh, uh, you know, subscribe to. But frankly, my website, uh, the office website is the, is the best one. And that's where the recruiters will look faster. Mm, okay. And what about you, Phil? So again, I have some bias on this. Uh, on, on this. <laughs> so what what I will do though is I'll, I'll, I'll before I, I do talk about platforms because I am passionate about about platforms. I will you know, in the interest of, of balance, you know, at the end of the day, LinkedIn mm-hmm. is the biggest community global of of talent out there. Um, I'd be loath if I didn't advise anyone to at least have a look you know yeah. on LinkedIn for what they're looking for you know if it's in your local area if it meets your commute if it's the right tech then yeah applying via LinkedIn is, is is great I think what we touched on earlier referrals are huge leveraging your own network you know developers techies whoever it is they, they know people working in different companies if your friend's working for a great company ask them if you know they can intro <laughs> you in or they can get you in. so there's definitely the network as as, as, as well um there and then and then beyond that, I do think recruitment platforms are the the, the future. Um, so I mean, the way HackJob works is companies apply directly to you based mm-hmm. on your criteria. So you're never getting approached by candidates, by clients, sorry, who can't pay your salary, who are in the wrong location. Mm-hmm. All of this. What it does is it massively cuts down the time you have to spend looking for that that right job. The jobs come to you and they come to you in in a very relevant way. So it empowers the developer or the candidate to manage their own search. And it ultimately saves them a lot of time in in the way that they um, they, they go about finding that new job, and it's much easier to communicate with the company. So, um, yeah, that's my little plug for, for platforms at the end because I, I really am passionate about them. If anyone wants to hear more about that, I'm not mm-hmm. going to take up Statry's podcast time. They can approach <laughs> me on LinkedIn, um, and I will tell them all about the the, the wonders and the, and the value of platforms for, for for hours on end. But I think yeah. that'll do for now. No, no, but thank you for that. And um, we will put in the description, by the way, like I, I catch up. So of course, like please send me the URL so people can also connect. And if they want to know more, then of course, Phil will be the, the person. Um, and then, okay, the last question that I have again for more like for a job seeker, because also it, it do matter for me. It's like, um, you know, I have, okay, I, I work in France, UK, and now working in, in Hong Kong. I've always heard so many stories about covalators and degrees. So do covalators still matter today, knowing that mm-hmm. we have everything, you know, on online with LinkedIn and as well degrees, do they really matter if you want to apply for a job? Uh, I think for our fresher degrees does matter, you know, so for example, for a trader role or something which requires financial engineering, this, we would look at degrees as well as uh, your background, educational background, because I think it's important. Maybe once you are experienced, then it may not matter that much. But for the first job, uh, for a bank, definitely it matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of cover letter, uh, I think if you are if you are a fresher and looking for a job, it does help that you don't write a cover letter, but at least write what you are looking for, because sometimes it can be quite difficult to figure out what your strengths are from the CVs because they all look the same mm. because I think they're all taught by the same, <laughs> I don't know, by the same uh, trainer or, or something. So I think it does help because it, it shows your strength and it shows what you are really interested in. If you can just put it on top of your resume, I think it's useful for us. Cover letter as a whole, nobody reads it. I can tell you it's it's a it takes a lot of time to read that. 
So, and I don't think many people have time. So that's my advice from an organization point of view. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Whatever you feel. Yeah, so so I, I agree in, in part. I think I disagree in, in, in other parts. I think on the degree side of things, um, I think it's entirely dependent on the on the role. So look, I think, yes, if you're bringing in a head of data science or you're bringing in someone who's working on like the cutting edge of, of technology where there isn't a lot of that skill in the marketplace, there's not even a lot of information about that skill on, online. Maybe it is something that's actually been developed in a more academic sense before you've then brought it into your business. I think absolutely, you know, at that at that point, you're probably looking at someone with a PhD really then, you know, we work mm -hmm. with a few robotics companies and things like that. And yes, they, they do need people that have that knowledge because you're, you're coming in, you're building something brand new. I think at when we're looking at more established roles, software engineers, DevOps engineers, areas like that, I think there is a lot of information out there and there are a lot are a lot of ways to show that knowledge and to gain that knowledge without going through the traditional route of university so i think even at a more senior or mid-level if someone has that commercial experience to back it up and you can see they've been working on relevant things and, and similar projects with similar tech or they've at least shown an aptitude to learning similar tech um then i think there's definitely a conversation to be to be had there um and then at the more junior level at the entry level I really think this is where, and possibly this is where there's a difference between the UK and 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 uh, and Hong Kong. So in the UK, we have a huge digital skills gap. So quite frankly, there are a lot more jobs out there than there are, <laughs> there, are there are IT professionals, <clears throat> and education's not solving that. So IT courses dropped at GCSE level, which is our 16-year-old uh, level, by 40 percent. So the traditional educational sources are not fixing this problem. So companies in the UK, particularly, have to be focused on helping to fix this problem themselves and the way they do that is by offering training offering support bringing people in to the business that maybe haven't studied a, a software development degree and being prepared to upskill them and help them learn and you know some companies look at that and why should we be spending that money and, and why should we spend our own money and, and things like that on, on on creating this talent and it's because well if you don't <laughs> who's going to you know it's not working through the traditional sources so someone has to take that responsibility so i think Definitely when you've got very specific skills, very new skills, things that you, you know, you need someone to come in and really shape this, this, this project or this policy. Definitely, I think uh, traditional education is, is useful. I think at the mid-level, it depends on the commercial experience. They may have a degree, they may not. And then I think at the junior level, personally, yes, hire people with degrees, also hire people without them, coding boot camps, people who, you know, have, have, have shown an interest. And I think this is you know, takes on to another point that we're not going to get the chance to explore today. But if I'm a junior, how do I show an interest? How do I show a passion? How do I show um, that I'm really keen to work in this industry? And it's not just something I, I woke up this morning and decided, oh, you know what, I'll be a software developer. So I think that's that's another challenge. And that's, again, something that we're trying to, to, to work on here at, at Hacker Job. But yeah, I would definitely encourage all companies at that entry level to be open to discussing with, with, with almost everyone. Um, mm. And then on a cover letter standpoint, um, yeah, I probably agree with Mukta, to be honest. I think um, a, a paragraph at the top of the CV is, is probably better, where you can still summarize everything you would have put into that cover letter. You can still tell the company what you're looking for and communicate that sort of stuff. But being honest, yeah, when you've got a recruitment team that are going through 20, 30, 40 CVs, the CVs are already two pages long. Uh, do they always read that extra two pages that you've put in there? Like, Maybe. I, I, I'll be honest, we don't hire at a massive rate. So when when I get them, I do read them because I might be reading one at a time. But I completely empathize with HR professionals who are reading 20, 30 at a time because that's a lot of work to get through. Mm. And, and quite frankly, they won't always be read. So I would I would summarize, as, as Mukha said. Okay, so that would be like a good takeaway. So put a paragraph on the resume rather than a long cover letter. And then about degree, that would matter more like depending of your, of course, like the industry and the field that you're applying at as well, your seniority, if you're like entry level, mid or even yeah. senior. Okay, that's a good takeaway that I will... Um, I hope that that will be useful for our audience. Um, and then, all right, we reached the end of the podcast. So I would like again to thank you, you two. It was really uh, good insights um, that I got from you two, like whether it's from upfront branding, how to do. Uh, and I can also resonate a lot with our organization and what we can do actually to improve. So I will try to apply your tips. <laughs> um, 
Any last word that you would like to share before we close the podcast? Are you right? No, right. I think all good. Thank you very much for, for, for having me on and, and thank you to Mukta for such a, an engaging conversation. Thank you to Eugene for obviously uh, hosting it. Yeah, great. Yeah, same here. Thanks, everyone. And maybe I will try hack a job and see how you do, Phil. Yes, definitely. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's <try. laughs> Okay. And thank you, ladies. It was, it was really uh, quite insightful for me also because as an organization, uh, I think what Phil spoke about, it really... Um, uh, I found it very relevant for us also. So I've stolen some points, Phil, to implement in the bank. <laughs> yeah, it's great to see so many similarities. To be honest. I think we had a couple of points of difference, but really I think it, it, it shows that actually, you know, there is a lot of crossover and, and, and really it is about treating your staff well and listening yes. to your staff, regardless whether you're in the, the East or the West, which I think is, yeah. uh, is key. Yeah, so that's why that would be like my final point, like whether we are in the East or in the West, like or whatever wherever we are, like at the end of the day, like, yeah, it's all about the human word, who they are. So that's for me like a very good conclusion. Yeah. Okay. So thank you. And then I I wish you like to have like a good evening and then a good day for you, Phil. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Bye-bye.